If you want to uh, follow in God's word um, in your Bibles, we're going to read together from um, Matthew chapter 21, the gospel story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And you might just want to take a minute. Um, here we are at Lim. Um, someone was saying to me just uh, before the service, you know, these days we struggle to fit everybody in. And so, you know, it feels a bit crowded here. But just imagine the thousands upon thousands of people right around the world who will be reading this story today, who will be hearing this story in a million different contexts and thousands of different languages. And that's what we're part of. That's the journey we're on. And this is what we read in Matthew chapter 21. Start to read at verse 1. It's on page 935 if you've got a Bible similar to this one, which I think are dotted around the place. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, and on the colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches in the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. This is the word of the Lord. One of the questions that I often ask churches when they begin that journey of, of thinking about and looking uh, to appoint a minister is, is to invite them, or particularly perhaps the leadership team of that church, to just when they meet with someone to stop and ask the question, how will this church be different if that person comes here? How will things be different? What will they bring? What will they add Or what might they challenge about the way we do things here? How will they help us to be the people of God in that place? Now, I I wasn't at that lovely, it sounded very nice, that lovely meal uh, at, uh, whose house was it again? Peter and Mary's. I I didn't get invited to that, but that's okay. That's all right. I'm I'm, I'm over that now. And um, 
But, you know, I don't know what questions were asked, but I guess that's a question that will be in many of our minds. And it was interesting that it's even a question in Chris's mind, from what we can gather. Um, he, he said, I'm open to God. I'm open to see what God is going to do with me and with us together in this place. And I know from, from talking with Chris and, and, and working on things um, prior to today that he's very, very keen that we don't see this today as the Chris Goswami show. You know, here he is, he's our new superstar, in he comes and off he goes, and we'll all stand at the back and cheer while Chris gets on with everything and Jonathan helps him. Wouldn't that just be lovely? But no, that's not what it's about. The question we are asking is, how will we be different? What is it we may do? How may we be challenged through Chris being here today? And I want us to try and answer that question today Um, Well, I want you to park that question for a minute, because I want us to just take a look at this story of Jesus entering the temple on Palm Sunday. And then when we've had a little chance to kind of inhabit that story for a bit and, and look around the temple together, then we might go back to that question. So I want you to imagine for a minute this morning that you are the temple management committee in first century Palestine, okay, we're going to run the, the we're going to do it the Baptist way, okay, all these chief priests and all that, they're gone. We're now running it the Baptist way with church meetings. And so you are the temple management committee. And you have gathered maybe about 10, 15 years before the day that uh, we've just read about when Jesus arrived. So Jesus is, is probably at this point at about 18, just sort of deciding with Joseph which university he's going to go to, taking his dad around the, the various open days and saying, Dad, I thought this was for me, not for you, and, and all the things that our kids do, uh, and please go away because you're embarrassing me. All that was going on. Jesus is a teenager, and you're having the, you're, you're the committee. And the, 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 the decision, the decision is, should we open the court of the Gentiles, that's the kind of third court, should we open the court of the Gentiles to exhibition space? Um, a few stalls, a few things, a few, a few, a few market things. You know, if you've ever been to the Baptist Assembly, it's the, the thing, you know, do we go and look at the exhibition or do we listen to the speaker? Oh, it's Phil Jump. I think we'll go to the exhibition. Um, what should we do? And you can imagine the conversation going on, you know, well, 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 well for one thing, if, if we have all these, these stalls and tray, if we, if we put that courtyard across to, to a sort of stall marketplace, well, you know, it's going to make the place more financially sustainable. I mean, you know, we've got new expenses to, to meet, we're trying to get the place renovated, the Romans are taxing us through the hilt. Um, you know, this is a good idea. This could work. If we've got a few market stalls around the court, then they could pay us a little bit of money and, and that'll help and that'll help keep the, keep the, keep the, the, the Passover festival going. It'll help us do it well. Um, it's good. It could be, could be a good idea, this. It could be. And, and not only that, but it will make things easier. I mean, think about the people. We've got people traveling for days to be at the Passover. And, um, yeah, it's quite a journey because, um, you know, no one's invented trains or aeroplanes or anything yet. The, the best you can manage is a donkey. And it, let's face it, you know, if you're trying to, you're trying to get yourself to Jerusalem from one of those outlying villages like Nazareth or somewhere like that, and you, you, A, you've got to get around the Samaritans because they're an absolute pain, that lot. So you've got to kind of go uh, the long way around. And, and if, I mean, if you've got to take one of the sheep from your flock, and try and keep the sheep quiet and, and content and fed and, and, and goodness knows what. I mean, it's, it's easy to buy one when you get there. 
I mean, we're helping people out here. This is, this is just that. And let's be honest, we're also moving with the times. I mean, we're being a bit, whatever the equivalent of 21st century was, and that's a complicated one to think about because they wouldn't have known it was the first century on the count of the fact they hadn't worked out yet to base the entire world calendar on the birth of Jesus. So goodness knows what year it was. But, um, but nonetheless, you know, we've got to move with the times here. I mean, not everybody is. I mean, the Old Testament rituals were written in the, in the day when, when everyone was a farmer. And it was easy to go and pick the best sheep out of your flock. But, I mean, some of the people turning up at the temple these days wouldn't know a decent sheep if they saw one. And, and, and we've got carpenters and people like that. that it, it'll be much easier. Just let them buy the stuff when they get here. And we'll do pigeons for the poor and sheep for the rich and deluxe sheep for the very rich and sheep with marshmallows and, and cream on top for the really, really rich and, and a special limb special with extra marshmallows and a kebab or something uh, wrapped in pita bread. Who knows what we could do? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of moving with the times here, everybody. Come on, let, let's do it. And not only that, but it, it kind of, well, it, it keeps a bit of quality control. I mean, you know, over the years, we've seen some right scabby sheep turning up here. And, and you know, goodness knows what, what kind of diseases they may be carrying and all the rest of it. It'll be much better. It'll be so much better if we let people sell the sheep, the goats and stuff when they arrive. So the committee meetings had this great, even, even the conservatives were happy. Even the straight-laced conservative Pharisees were happy. You see, they, they kind of had already got into their heads that the problem with this nation, the reason the place was in the state it was in, was because people weren't doing things properly. They weren't following God's law sufficiently to the letter. So it would give them a chance to probably have sheep with barcodes on that had been properly certified and certified. So actually, even the Pharisees would be happy. The Sadducees would be happy because they'd be making a few bob and doing the place up. The, the, the teachers of the law would be happy because they, they could do all the certification stuff, so they'd give them something to do. The Pharisees would be happy because it would mean that, uh, that, that they could be convinced that the celebration and the festival and the ritual was as pure as it could be. And, and okay, it's going to cost a few bob. It's going to be expensive. People are going to have to pay through the nose for the sheep. But to be honest, that'll keep the riffraff out. And that might make it a bit better as well, because if God hasn't got to cast eyes on the poor and the destitute, and he can just see the nice, the rich, the respectable in their best suits, well, that's going to help as well. And so the committee meeting of the temple comes to an end, and they all decide that this is the best thing to do. And for 10 years or so, the temple marketplace has been going on all rather well. It's all been working terribly well. So has the building fund. In fact, the building fund has been going on so well that if you carry on reading Luke chapter 21 and into chapter 22, you find the disciples are walking around like this going, wow, look at that. You don't see buildings like that in Nazareth, do you, Jesus? It was all going terribly well. But here's the problem. Jesus wasn't a member of the temple management committee And Jesus didn't see things the way they saw them. And when Jesus arrived in the temple 15 years or so later, and don't take me to task on that, because I know that was only an imaginary meeting of the committee. But when Jesus arrives, he sees the outcome of their endeavors. And to say he was none too pleased has got to be the understatement of the day. Now, if Jesus had come from down south, if Jesus had come from Lim, he'd have probably gone to see a solicitor and written him a letter. But Jesus was from up north. 
a bit more of a scouser, really. So we just tipped them over and, and kicked them around a bit and let the sheep out and nicked the goats and, and whatever. There was an absolute total commotion going on in the marketplace because Jesus arrives and he doesn't like what he sees. You see, Jesus saw things differently. We discover that, as, as I said, when we carry on reading. Jesus had this incredible habit of seeing the things that other people missed. Remember, I was talking about the disciples go, whoa, look at that. Whoa, goodness me, look at that. How on earth did they get that carving up there? And the disciples are doing all that, and Jesus is looking the other way. And Jesus sees a desperately poor widow, a woman who, who can hardly afford the clothes she's standing up in. And he watches as she puts two minuscule coins in the offering box. And he says to his disciples, they're going, whoa, look at them stones. Like, hey, get over here, guys, get over here. Come and see what I've seen. Oh, whoa, what's Jesus seen? I mean, we're, we're going to go and buy the guidebook in a minute. If, well, we would have done if you hadn't tipped them all over last Sunday. But um, Jesus said, look at that woman. Look at that woman. What do you mean, look at that woman? Some tatty, that tatty widow. Yeah, look at that woman. Look what she's doing. She's given everything she's got. She's given everything she's got. And you didn't have to do that because the rule said if you were that skint and you had two coins, you only had to give one of them. Jesus didn't see it that way. I'll talk about that in a minute. He said, look at that. That's what my kingdom's about. So we know that Jesus saw things differently. You see, Jesus Jesus wasn't that impressed with a special rule that said really poor widows were only allowed to give one coin because Jesus was around when the first lot of rules got written. You know, the ones in Leviticus. Do you remember them? You shouldn't have any widows that are that poor because you're supposed to give a tenth of what you've got to them. Oh, rich people pouring loads of money in. Uh, Excuse me, that's not what the rules say. The rules don't say build lovely temples. They say look after the poor, the alien, the foreigner. There shouldn't have been widows like that. That's what Jesus saw. And when Jesus goes into the marketplace, he sees a very different scene. He doesn't see a nice, tidy, wonderful religious institution and organization running smoothly along its well-oiled wheels. He sees a court that was supposed to be a place of prayer. It was supposed to be the place where people got ready to go into the big festival but not by buying a new outfit or making sure they got the latest super, super, extra certified slam without spot and blemish to impress their neighbours that they could afford a more, more spot and blemishless lamb than they could. It, it wasn't intended to be a place where you could bring the money from one of those outlying Roman colonies that you lived in and get it changed into nice, clean, holy money, albeit at a massively over-inflated exchange rate. It was supposed to be a place where you could get ready by putting yourself right with God. It was a place where those who weren't that flamboyant, weren't that flash, could simply pray. It was a place where the people who couldn't afford those expensive sheep and those extortionate exchange rates could be the centre of things. And it was intended to be a place where, where those people, those Gentiles as they were known, that the people that weren't part of the in crowd of the Jewish faith, could, could still come and be part of things, the court of the Gentiles it was called. And in their society of discrimination were 
women and children were not given the worth that they deserve. It was the only place they could come to. But it had been turned into a marketplace. It had been turned into a place where organized religion could do its thing and cover its costs and make sure that the interests of the religiously organized could be fully met. That's why Jesus was none too pleased. This was not Jesus' great for all eternities stand against church jumble sales. This was Jesus saying something far more profound and something far more important. This was Jesus saying, my kingdom, whether it be expressed through a temple building or a community of people or a nice church in Lim, my kingdom is a place of welcome for everyone. My kingdom is not a place that serves the religious self-interest of a few, but opens its doors to the many. My kingdom is a place where those who seek to make money out of religion have no place. If you ever want a great commentary on, on Christian giving, just read Holy Week. And if you're really not up for it, don't read the Friday bit, because if you want to know about giving, it gets pretty demanding at that point. But that's what Jesus invites. So let me bring you back to the question that uh, I began. What difference is Chris going to make here? Well, let me tell you, Chris is an incredibly gifted and talented guy. I went to speak at a group of, with a group of ministers about November last year. I spoke for an hour and a quarter, and I thought it was really good. And Chris got it down to seven minutes and put it on the internet. That's how good he is. He takes my good ideas clears all the rubbish out and just puts the best bits up. And I, you know, I've, I've had more likes of Chris's pricey of what I wrote than I have on the bit that I put all on my own. Chris is great at that. He's a brilliant communicator. He's a really insightful guy. To be honest, and I mean this in a very positive way, you can often be with Chris and come away feeling a bit uncomfortable because he's got a really prophetic insight into things. He doesn't live with the ordinary and the comfortable. He asks the difficult question. He's got a massively profound, prophetic insight into things. He's also annoyingly talented. <laughs> Quite good looking as well. He's got it all. He'll, he'll really fit in. That's all right. I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that. No, no, let's not go, even go there. But um, he looks better in, in his Cheshire Oaks gear than I do. Anyway, let's put it that way. But, so what are we going to do with him? Do you know... We could turn Chris into one of those temple traders and he'd be brilliant. He could really make Lim rock. He could do all kinds of things. He could entertain our young people. He could help our young adults. He could keep the older members of the church happy. He could have a great time. And with the whole ministry team that we've now got, we can take these guys and we can really rock here. We can come here and we've got the business. We've got a great music group. We've got a brilliant internet and social media guy, we've got youth, we've got it all going on here now. We can just turn these guys into our temple traders and we can turn up every Sunday, we can turn up in the week and they can lay their stalls out for us and we can rock. But don't invite Jesus around. 
Because when Jesus sees temple traders with stalls of religious wares laid out, he really messes them up. Or we can take our lead from Jesus. The Jesus who disrupts. The Jesus who asks awkward questions. The Jesus who rocks boats and stills storms. And we can either be a church that's so busy doing its own thing that there's no room for people who don't think our way and do things our way. Or we can be a church that says, help us widen the doors. Help us become that place where people who aren't like us, people who don't think the way we do, People who won't always be able to afford the things that some of us can afford can find a place of belonging to. Help us be a house of prayer, which to me is not a house that's full of rituals, and, but is a place where people really meet with God. And that's the question that I want to leave you with today as we take that familiar journey once again with the crowds who loved the big festival, who loved the temple traders, who probably had been saving up all year to give their kids money to spend on those stalls and they couldn't wait to buy those lovely palm leaves that they sold on the first one by the door and wave them and shout Hosanna to anybody who came along even if it meant shouting crucify five weeks, five days later, because they just joined in any old chant. Or we can take our lead from Jesus and say to those who lead us, help us clear out the clutter. Help us widen the doorways. Help us be more inviting, more welcoming, more accessible. Help us reach out further to those who might otherwise never find their way in. I'm going to invite us to finish with a reading that kind of tries to capture some of those thoughts. And uh, by the wonders of modern science, I've preached too long. And my laptop's given up on me and said, you should have stopped by now. I've turned, oh for goodness sake, will you stop being so awkward? We're not going to finish with a reading, I don't think. Right, stay on. No. We're not going to finish with a reading, let's finish with a prayer. Loving God, you came as Jesus, the disturber the disruptor, the challenger, the prophet. You weren't afraid to say what was right, even if it cost you your very life. Help us to truly be a kingdom people as we continue this journey forward together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.